where discomfort is going to show you something. Discomfort is showing its head and saying like, hey, that comfort zone, it's stretched right now and I'm feeling uncomfortable and there's a reason why. Welcome, fam. This is Courtney Russell Jr. and I'm here with my co-host, Emily Brocker. Welcome to Humanize. We are two Americans with totally different backgrounds and life experiences. We're coming together on this podcast to dive right at the heart of the three things that shut down tough conversations about race, culture, power, and ego. The stories you are about to hear are meant to humanize those deeply involved in social justice. Welcome to the work, y'all. Let's get it. On this episode of Humanize, Courtney and I got the chance to sit down with Brenda Herrera Moreno, who is a full-time anti-oppression consultant and facilitator. She built Invisible Paradigms, uh, a company that she runs, and it is created to support white allies in their connection to the work, community, and movement in anti-oppression. And so today we talked about this idea of being activated, what to do when you feel suddenly activated and flooded with either it's guilt or shame or anger or wanting to do something. Um, We talked about what it means to do the work and don't miss the end when she facilitates a powerful activity, which is an example of the kind of activity she facilitates with her um, small group cohorts as she works with white allies. It's a powerful conversation that has left me thinking and left me with a lot more questions. What's going on, Humanized family? We're back at this thing again, um, bringing some more um, social justice to your eardrums, hoping it inspires and leads you to actually act. Um, So much going on and so little time. So let's get to it. But before we do that, I just want to make sure you guys know that this work that we're doing, um, we've gotten permission from all the the individuals that we work with and work for to kind of delve into these conversations. And so if you in, um, are having these conversations or want to have the conversations, please do the emotional labor and ask the questions so that it can be a comfortable space for both you and the person that you're, um, that you're speaking with. So without um, anything else being said about that, let's get to work. Emily, let's go. Yeah. Well, Brenda, welcome to Humanize. Uh-huh. <laughs> Thank you for joining us today. Um, I'm excited for this conversation because I've known about your business, Invisible Paradigms, for a while um, and respected it from afar. And um, yeah, I was excited to be introduced to you through Nadia Ali, who's been on our podcast as well. Um, So welcome. Thank you for coming into the space with us. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Um, So today... Um, I'm, we already kind of like started to get into it before we recorded, which is so often the case, (laughs) um, so much to explore, but, um, I think the thing that would be really interesting to hear your perspective on based on, um, your life path and what motivated you to create invisible paradigms, um, would, is this idea of activation and what happens to us when we are activated? And there's so many different ways to think about that. <laughs> She's doing this awesome dance right now. Yeah, yeah. I'm dancing. Yeah. I'm excited. <laughs> <laughs> there's so much there. Um, and yeah, instead of trying to like frame it myself, I'd love to, mm-hmm. to turn it over to you. And um, yeah, if you just like tell, tell us a bit about your background, where you're from, and then how Invisible Paradigms was born, who who it is for, and then bring us into this idea of activation, which would probably be already woven in there. So, Well, hola comunidad. My name is Brenda. I use she a pronouns, and I am the founder of Invisible Paradigms. And that has a really great story that's personally attached and also mm-hmm. um, just a journey of, of anti-oppression community building, uh, mm-hmm. specifically with white allies, which is not something that my 16-year-old self expected to be in, but it's something that I found myself being being really curious about. So yeah. Invisible Paradigms is an anti-oppression organization that's committed to tra- informing and transforming white allies 
-hmm. order to deepen their commitment to the work, community, and movement of Mm anti-oppression. So a lot of juicy words, and it's all intentional to just to say there requires a great deep learning of self and unlearning of habits to create alternatives towards the change that we want to see. And when we're talking about white bodies or white allies or privileged points of identities that we're privileged in, it's, it's asking us to, to look in the mirror and say, what's my relationships with self? What's my relationship with others? And what's my relationship to power and community? So it's mm-hmm. all very interconnected. And we focus on personal transformation because this work, and I've broken it down earlier to mean self-work, um, self-transformation. I, I also broke it down to, to talk about community. So this is relational and movement. Mm-hmm. So this is larger than us, and it's also within us. Mm-hmm. Um, and we break things down in those ways intentionally to, to let people know that there's a role that they have and that this role is equivalent to the life journey of getting to know ourselves better, um, getting those relationships deepened and seeing our, ourselves differently. Mm-hmm. And at Invisible Paradigms, we really dedicate our time and energy to this, to this overlapping Venn diagram of transformation, because when white folks show up to their work, to relationships, to podcasts, um, there might be moments that need to be reflected back. And Mm -hmm. so those moments happen so quickly that we want to make sure people have self-awareness, confidence in self to show up and, and claim accountability Mm. um and show up and just learn learn meaning not learning education and knowledge but learning of learning requires reflection commitment um so that's a little bit about invisible paradigms we do cohorts and consulting and the journey to this point has been uh a continuous thread of careers and opportunities where i was focused on personal transformation connection to self when community is um, sort of shaken up mm-hmm. or when self is shaken up. So I've had mm-hmm. um, paths where I was a, a counselor for victims and survivors of domestic violence in Boulder. I was a peer recovery coach for a little bit. I did um, refugee youth uh, resettlement in the site of integration and uh, oversaw an after-school program in Aurora. So everything that I've been going mm. through in terms of my adult life has been really just hearing people and and supporting them when things are things are difficult or complicated yeah. or overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah. Wow. And did you grow up in Colorado? I'm originally from Mexico. Oh, okay. so which also that's more of my personal side of of understanding. Um, this deep curiosity that I have. Uh So I'm originally from Mexico. I grew up in India and arrived in South Carolina when I was 11. Oh, wow. I've been here over 20 years now, which is also something my 16 year old self never (laughs) imagined. (laughs) Where in India were you? I was in Pune, India. So that's West, um, not too far away from Bombay, South, Southeast Bombay from Bombay. Mm -hmm. Wow. Wow. What an wow. amazing background and world of experience. For, for, for sure. I, man, I really appreciate your intentionality um, behind this work um, and how you broke it down. I just, what, I just had a quick question just to get us going. Um, you, you're the, the name of your company is Invisible Paradigms. And obviously you see a couple paradigms that are not seen by many or don't have to be seen by uh, many that you obviously are trying to address and or dismantle. Um, yes. what, what, what are those in your mind? So invisible paradigms is spelled in period, visible, and then paradigms. And that is a journey that we walk people through. Mm-hmm. So you might've heard the cloak of white supremacy that kind of shields and obscures and invisibilizes intentionally creates distance from the same systems that it's used to exploit, extract, and oppress. Mm-hmm. Um, and so invisible paradigms is a journey that we want to take people through. Seeing the paradigms that shape 
language, humor, inter interpersonal relationships, as well as the paradigms that really form quality of life. So policy, institution, law, regulations. And we want to walk people through seeing seemingly or we want to pe walk people through understanding that these aren't just invisible, that there's a way to be cognizant of them and recognize how they show up in self, relationships, institutions, and yeah. culture, because we're embedded in it, yeah. and find slowly find alternatives mm -hmm. um, or antidotes to the paradigms that they see. And, and in invisible paradigms, we really focus on the, the, the Venn diagram of internalized, interpersonal and um, ideological. So mm -hmm. if I'm talking and making a joke, that may feel like innocent, benign joke, but it might actually have histories or we are inheriting ideologies that mm -hmm. show up in our day-to-day -day language. And that's the hard work of, mm -hmm. of, of doing this, but it's also the most rewarding because once you are aware of something, we're there to provide support, to navigate, you out of overwhelm and into like oh, okay a little bit more clarity i can do mm -hmm. this i love it mm -hmm. i love it you just... you must have amassed just such a, a wealth of experience with um in, with paradigms being revealed to participants mm. do you do you find that um it's like the same paradigms that are coming through or is different people are able to tune into different things. I'm just. Yeah. You know, what's really interesting about being in spaces where I'm facilitating white majority folks doing un great unlearnings is mm -hmm. that yes, there are some um, yes, there are some consistencies and there mm -hmm. are some people that go into our spaces feeling like they have the one person in mind. Maybe that's, a close relationship. It could often be, we've heard partners, we've heard coworkers, we've heard uncles, we've heard friends. Like I'm and trying we, to work with my relationship. With like they're person. coming up because they have someone in mind. Exactly. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. And we also have people that are eager, recently activated people that are just coming into a lesson for the first time or a moment that sparked change. And they just are hungry or eager to keep going. And so through our spaces, I think I've heard people talk about um, really everything. <laughs> mm -hmm. we, we've had all sorts of folks and we, we keep our spaces generally broad intentionally, even though we're talking about a specific thing, because people are coming in with all sorts of experiences and things in mind. Right, right. Just dropped my fidget toy. <laughs> yeah, <that>. Nice. <laughs> um, yes. So let's hone in on this, like um, this idea of, of activation. And you're talking about people coming in eager and you've talked about like a sense of urgency or people like fired up. Um, mm -hmm. So how do you, it's such a, a poignant moment, I think, for a lot of people Like where it's mm -hmm. like, oh, wow, this is, I can't ignore this. And I have a lot of energy around this. Um, how do you, how do you work with, with people to um, help them, I don't know, find some footing in that perhaps it's overwhelmed, perhaps it's excitement. Um, I feel like like even just trying to put that into words, it's like so deeply in the realm of like psychology and social work and therapy. <laughs> oh, so yes. Sometimes <laughs> our spaces feel like group coaching. Uh-huh. And that's the style in which we facilitate too. Yeah. Yeah. Is reflective listening. Uh-huh. It's multimedia activities. Mm -hmm. And it is talking through it and moving through it. So, so we encourage somatic activities as well to have people move through that discomfort. So activation means, whoa, I just noticed something for the first time mm -hmm. or, whoa, I just had this big conversation or I just watched, you know, this amazing documentary, which there are many of, or my book club just started a book. <laughs> 
Um, I only chuckle because I think book clubs are really great, but the lessons in book clubs are only as powerful as you wish to integrate them. And that's the point is that once we get activated, meaning excited, curious, um, ready to commit there, our batteries full at that moment, or it's mm. jump started. Mm-hmm. Our batteries just like supercharged and we're ready mm-hmm. to go. And we feel like we need to exert change in the same way that that battery has been charged. Mm-hmm. What gets confusing is that um, what I've seen in our spaces is, is that the disorientation of how to integrate things mm-hmm. often gets the, the most overwhelming for people. And the folks, the paradigms that we see in, in our spaces tend to be, I just don't know how to change mm. my, my relationship with perfectionism, or I don't know how to a lot of it comes down to self where I feel people feel where I see people the most blocked or hesitant mm. um, because we have to confront things about ourselves or we don't have guidance or we tend to replay this, this record of shame, guilt, overwhelm, disorientation, anger, frustration, resentment. <laughs> so yes, our group sessions can feel like um, I think I won't say therapy because no one is a licensed therapist, (laughs) Um, but it it does feel healing. It can feel relieving and it can Mm -hmm. feel affirming Uh and it can also feel generative, meaning Mm -hmm. that we are there to hold moments of accountability for you and help you do that yourself so that you move forward. And anyway, I I left on a tangent there, but it's true. (laughs) Our sessions can feel, um, like a huge emotional release and education and self-awareness to make alternatives. Yeah. Is it, I guess this is kind of a, 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 um, (laughs) I'm squirming in my chair. I'm not sure if this is (laughs) the right question. Something's coming up. But I'm going to ask it anyway. (laughs) So it's kind of for both of you. Mm -hmm. Um, um, As people who identify as people of color, like, is it, I imagine it must, it feel painful to a certain extent to see that battery full moment Mm -hmm. of like, I'm just thinking about myself and thinking of Roe v. Wade and like men talking to me in a certain mm. way during mm-hmm. that time. Um, and I don't know. I, maybe that's enough. Like I, I, maybe I don't need to go into it further, but I'm just wondering that experience of receiving an urgency from someone else that I imagine is like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, and I've lived this every day you know? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. yeah, just wondering if you. Yes. So that's, what's been most surprising about where I've landed within, with invisible paradigms is that uh-huh. I never expected because as a person of color, so I identify as someone that's decolonizing identity. And so uh-huh. I've, I'm from Mexico. There's indigeneity there. There's a whole nother colon colonizer, um, and colonizing histories in Mexico with that identity. So I identify as someone that's shifting paradigms as much as possible mm. or trying to turn them on their head mm. through unlearning parts of who I am because of these two identities and reaching indigeneity. Yeah, and that's something that's every day that I can claim. It's not something, it's a destination. So I wanted to say that. Thank you. For and, clarifying I, and I think it is very interesting that um, people who are showing up activated tend to rally around, um, maybe are rallying around their emotions of reactivity, of suddenness. Um, and the people who can afford that, the people who show up suddenly are folks that are mostly privileged. So when we talk mm-hmm. about Roe v. Wade or, you know, what happened, what happened in 2020 with George Floyd, what's happened years before and every year since is that BIPOC people, Black, Indigenous, and people of color are showing up out of the urgency because we need to live 
of survival, of visibility. And white allies are showing up at a different sort of, if you think about music, mm-hmm. um, so I, I was a flute player. So mm-hmm. if we think about music, there's people, there's certain instruments that are always going to start at the beginning or the medley is carrying at the beginning. And then there's people that are, there are instruments that are coming in suddenly at one point and they create, mm-hmm. you know, disruption or harmony. And mm-hmm. I think white allies are coming in often because it's the first time that they're learning about it. So their point of entry is without maybe context about what BIPOC folks have been doing for a long time or what they're hoping the rest of the song sounds like. And so you need to come in on time. You need to respect Uh and hear the other harmonies to to really be in sync. Um, So I think- What a beautiful metaphor. I love that. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. I think that the song, maybe if I can continue, because I get yeah. carried away metaphors, go, is, go. <laughs> is that the song that we're doing is, is when these introductions of new instruments, new people that are coming into the conversation, is that we're trying to improvise. We're trying to figure it out and make sure that you have a place or make people know that they have a place. Mm-hmm. And so that's where the disorientation, I think, point mm-hmm. after the point of activation can happen is that I don't know what my role is. I don't know how to create change. I don't, I think I'm listening well, but I'm not sure if I am because I'm getting feedback that I'm not. (laughs) Or crap, I've done harm. And now that feels really bad, both for the person that I cared about or care about and both for myself because now I'm carrying this thing that I can't and I don't know. So um, I forgot my my (laughs) point there, but it, I think, past the point of activation as a person of color facilitating these spaces requires a lot of self-care for myself before Mm -hmm. and after conversations and requires self-care with relationships and resources Mm -hmm. because I am putting myself into a space where I do care about people seeing themselves differently and seeing their relationships with potential. And um, sometimes we get asked questions that are like yours, Emily, you were, you were sensing a little bit of something bubbling like, up at you is... weren't sure how to say <laughs> it. And those are the spaces that that's how people often show up. Um, yeah. So we set ground rules for people to feel like I can say this. And if something happens, then I can practice accountability. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes people can get pretty disruptive and we have ways to mitigate that. And have mm-hmm. that be a moment because even on a podcast episode, in the car ride alone, in in classrooms or in offices or in workshops, none of these spaces are isolated from the oppression that's happening or the privilege that you're bringing in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They're not siloed. No, not. can't be. Wow, I um, so much is coming up in my head right now. Like you, <laughs> you, you, you did that. I think we we often talk about safety and are comfortable um, when we're Ooh. doing this work, you know. Uh, you <laughs> know. <laughs> and so it's like when you have the luxury yeah. to be safe while you're in an activism space or you're fighting for your life and the life of your family and the life of people that look like you, you <laughs> are you you were born marching. You were born fighting. I don't, I didn't, I never had the conversation. I think I had a conversation about police before we had a conversation or if we ever talked about sex, like, mm-hmm. like it's, it's that, you know what I mean? It's like, it's never the time It's never an appropriate time. It just happens for people of color. Mm-hmm. And so we are living a reality. Like you said, with the music that we've been playing these instruments all our life. And if you haven't been playing this instrument all your life and you just picked it up and you're passionate about it and you come into a person that is a, an expert with this poverty, with this, this, this um, oppression, we are experts, you know? And so imagine if, like I say it all the time to Emily, imagine if I just started medical school and then I go into the, the first day and say, hey, doc, who's been working for 30 years in the field, I'm going to do this with this patient right now. They would look at me crazy. You know, like, what are you talking? You just got here. 
you know? And I think a lot of times people have great intentions without the foundation and understanding of what has to happen to actually be truthful in this work, you know? And so a lot of times this is the problem I have with the emotional side of activism. It's, oh, you just saw this today because the world stopped mm -hmm. and now it's a brand new mission for you. And so you're, you're excited, you're out there, you're doing but what is changing? The role is still getting overturned. People yeah. are still getting oppressed. People are still dying. And now we're just on with our life again. That is, that is the angering thing about um, situations like that for me. And so when you was talking about activating and, and, and being, and, and the metaphor of the music, it struck an amazing chord with me because I agree with you 100%. Thank you. You brought up safety, you brought up expertness, and you also brought up conversations around like things that young children have to have. Hmm. Um, because you, because again, parts of your identity are threatened hmm. and can be threatened at any moment. So yeah. everyone here, maybe, <laughs> I wouldn't take a huge assumption, may wake up the same, right? We go to sleep and we wake up. We wake up the same. We open our eyes, we hit snooze, or we just wake up and enjoy the sunrise. I don't know what you do. But <laughs> as soon yeah. as you get out the door or as soon as you show up to your neighbor, to the way that you move around the building, your things are different. Yeah. People that you meet, the conversations that they're having are I mean, I might get mistaken as a dog walker in my neighborhood who's predominantly white. Um, and so I, as soon as I walk my dog, I'm like doing a 360 every time. Mm -hmm. um, I'm smiling as often as I can because politeness is currency. Like politeness is something that I've been taught not only as a person of color, but as a woman that that can sort of guarantee some sort of safetyness for the moment. Mm -hmm. um so there's conversations that and and strategies to navigate a world that silently or not so silently by <laughs> is like putting you in place or shaping the choices that you have and in our spaces when we talk about safety we have to bring in a power analysis and that's exactly what you're talking about like safety comfort safety protection safety mm -hmm. energy and in our spaces we don't use the word safe space. Um, one, because this is a conversation about race, gender, and sex, meaning um, there are moments, like I said earlier, that our identities are just going to show and flare and do things. Yeah. Um, and so it's not a safe space, meaning I can't, I will guarantee you comfort. That's not what the space is about. Instead, we say this is a generative space where discomfort is going to show you something. Discomfort is showing its head and saying like, hey, that comfort zone, it's stretched right now and I'm feeling uncomfortable and there's a reason why. Um, and that discomfort can be generative. We're not putting people into like the red alert danger zone. Um, and sometimes discomfort is perceived as that, as like a dangerous place to be for white allies. And so we intense and instead say, generative and we help people understand that safety in body is experienced very differently across different bodies and different experiences so yeah. being safe means being present being cool calm and collected but if there are things on your day-to-day -day life that are like subtle stings of telling you that you're not or that you have to be aware then your energy bank is always going to be depleted no matter how much you're trying to charge it yeah. um yeah. So thank you for bringing that up. Mm. <laughs> you said um, power analysis. Mm -hmm. and I'm, are you able to give an example of how you help people work with that? Um, I'm asking because, um, you know, I work with clients in the, the field of DEI. And the second that I say power, there's like this, sh this shrinking. Mm. From I mean, I'm thinking specifically of white men in the C-suite um, and like the CEO, the CFO, you know. So, yeah, I'm wondering if we can like explore that a little bit. Um, I, do, you, do you also find that people 
like the second you say power, it's like, ah, or, or people who are showing up to your courses a little bit more like, okay. Yeah. I think people understand power generally as they generally understand justice, but they don't really know all the different ways in which power is shaped and the Mm. ways in which justice can be approached. Mm. So there's all of these different kinds of power where organizations protect and and ascribe legitimate forms of power and privileges within an organization, depending on your position in the hierarchy. Someone that's Mm -hmm. doing direct service doesn't have the same authority to execute decisions as someone as a top. And um, in our work, when we talk about power analysis, we're, we're saying how your identity shapes safety, mm-hmm. or we're talking about how power shows up to the ability to exert that energy to its fullest extent. Um, we're talking about power in, in identity, so in whiteness and white supremacy, and the histories that are inherited from, from that. Um, so power analysis and looking at our comfort zones goes into um, privilege. Privilege is something that you don't have to second guess or you don't have to mm-hmm. exert energy to protect because that thing is not at risk to you. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah. And so when we're looking at power analysis in our windows of tolerance, meaning how high we reach a fight, flight, freeze response when we are in a present um, optimal zone and when we are hypo aroused, meaning deactivated because we are feeling numb, fatigue, passive, ashamed. Mm -hmm. um, Those are all normal things to go through and to look at a power analysis through this to say, how does social appeasement come in? How does sense of activation and like coming back into a moment are informed by your relationship to self and self therefore is relationship to the world. And the world is the United States, which has a huge, huge histories of how power shape protected and ascribed mm. to certain identities. Mm. Yes, it does. Yeah. I'm not. <laughs> I I just feel like I'm like, you have put so much thought and understanding into everything that you're saying. I'm just absorbed. Like, it feels so intentional. I just so appreciate, like, I'm just absorbing everything <laughs> you're saying. Cause it's like, I can, this is not just off the cuff, <laughs> you know, yeah. like this. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I recommend anyone at any of these conversations to just to take one moment to like, slow down. Yeah. You take a moment of silence for a breath because that sense, Emily, of like, Ooh, I'm, I'm receiving it mm. is really magical and it's really important. And it, the next step after that is integration or like mm. uh, metabolizing that. Mm. Yeah. And that's not often the arc that people always fall through the people, at least I see in our spaces, Um, And we take a lot of, I think now being a a virtual facilitator and consultant means I have to take care of people's energy and the way that they're showing up because we're all screens or voices to each other at some point. Um, And so taking care of our brain and energy when we are integrating a lot of stuff, Mm. making sure it it just um, steeps for a little bit. Is really important. And I find breath to do one of those things of like <sighs> recalibration. <laughs> I love it. So I have a question. So you mainly work with um, white people um, in these spaces. And I guess my question is, do you speak openly, candidly about what, what is the work? Like, for, because when people say you need to do the work, do you explicitly yeah. say what the work is? Yes. So I try to avoid saying the work or just like big umbrella terms. I'm trying to think of other things or other phrases that people say is like, you are the problem or um, you should know better or just be a kind person. 
Yeah, exactly. Just <laughs> everyone assume positive intent or something. Yeah. Yeah. So um when so this is why we're focused specifically on personal and interpersonal realms of transformation and allyship. The work is usually that phrase is usually meant, or the way I've interpreted, and I'd love to hear y'all's as well, is I've understood that to be mutual aid, activism, rallying, volunteering, donating. Um, you know, sometimes it's a guilt trip, <laughs> sometimes it's education. That's what I've understood or tried to decipher when people say the work. And within our spaces, we're saying that all can be true. And here's the wheel that you can see the different spokes that are needed. And these are not competitive spokes. There's actually a really good resource called the Wheel of Social Change 2.0, I think. Um, but it's a, it is a really great worksheet. And in our spaces, we're saying, if you're showing up to that, your life needs to change as well. If you want to see oppression dismantled, which is also a very catchy phrase, um, not to, to, I mean, it's a very important thing and it also encompasses a lot of things, but the work in our spaces means looking in the mirror figuratively, metaphorically, and getting acquainted with your personal thresholds of discomfort, yeah. with your tendencies to respond to stress, with your language when you're responding to stress and, be, and patterns, with the actions that you want to do, and then turning away from the mirror a little bit and in, engaging with those relationships that are right next to you. Yeah. So our work is lateral white to white ally work and the work we do is also personal um understanding and recognition mm. and i get really excited about this work because it means that you get to see yourself differently and that's mm -hmm. a little bit of what life is also about so there's mm -hmm. a bit of um you can't take one you can't detach one thing from the other when we're doing mm -hmm. anti-oppression mm -hmm. um and your date you have if you want to see life change outside of you your life has to take small steps to do that mm -hmm. and again i think that's where the disorientation takes place for people mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. wow yeah go ahead answer that emily what the work is Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm oh, what the work definition. is? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, um, I don't. Okay, I'm just gonna say this because I I don't know why I had this a dream last night that feels relevant to this, mm. where I was talking to someone, and so I I I'm not Buddhist, but I've I've spent a bunch of time in, um you know, Nepal, India, Tibet areas and, um, meditating. And I do feel like, um, my experience in, I'm trying to use, not use the phrase, the work, uh, <laughs> my experience in my efforts to decolonize, um, my thinking and to, see the the conditioning my white supremacy conditioning mm -hmm. more clearly i i see like if it's if it could be brought to its fullest potential it would be enlightenment it would be like the path of the buddha which was to to go in and pick the weeds out of your brain every day and just say you know like this is this is conditioning this is not mm -hmm. this is not creating connection to the world around me this is not creating the impulse to to help people which i know the dalai lama has spoken about like being just a core of being human is that that impulse and um yeah so i i i feel like when i'm really able to focus and and show up to do that the internal work i guess i do often think of the work as the internal work, which then leads mm. into better external movement, more aligned, more in harmony. I love this word harmony that you used. Um, 
is deeply spiritual work. And that's, um, yeah, that's kind of, I, I, I never market that to my clients, um, because saying spiritual would be, you know, a little bit much, but, um, Mm. I, I fear for my soul and the soul for all white people who, (laughs) how we've been so deeply disconnected from our humanity. Um, yeah, I don't know Hmm. what I just said, but those are my, (laughs) (laughs) I track, I heard. I, I heard you. Wow. Um, for me, I feel like the work has now in my as I'm older is more defined, but I've been doing this work since when I was younger. I just didn't know what it was that I was doing, you know, even um, is is I'm finally seeing when people say they are called to do something, what mm-hmm. that what that what that means, you know, it's like whether it's a spiritual thing whether it's just the universe aligning in certain ways whatever the case may be when you're really actually called to do something the work is making sure you're ready for what you think you're called to do if that makes sense and so mm-hmm. if i'm called to lead and to be a, um, a social entrepreneur and a civil activist and what is what are the things that is needed to have in my toolbox to make sure that i'm doing it the right way you know, mm-hmm. and I think for me, that is that is the work um, mm-hmm. instead of moving on emotions, doing something that's going to address the collective in a certain way that. Um, just like we say in medicine, people will die. How are we going to mitigate um, or lessen the amount of individuals that die is the real art of, mm-hmm. of, of medicine and uh, real art of science, you know. So I have to learn enough that I kill less people while practicing medicine, which means in like it, inherently, like people will be practiced on may die, you know, mm-hmm. including myself. So now we I transfer that over to now the activism work. The work is reading, understanding, foundational work, understanding the key players, key things that are affecting the change that I foresee that I want for the generation and want to come, you know, and I, a lot of times I think as we, as activists move, I see a lot of emotions. Mm -hmm. I see a lot of, of, I hate white people. I don't like, like, I don't like what they do. I don't like who they are. So, so fuck them. Mm -hmm. All right, cool. I talk to a lot of my people like that. You know, I'm like, all right, cool. Shit sounds good. Right. But however, we can't fight hate and balance that energy with more hate because now you got got a whole bunch of hateful people hating each other. And if you really want to get to it, white people got a head start on the hate. Mm-hmm. And so the only way to level the playing, the 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 the, the fighting and the, the ground is with love. That's the only way to start to see it. Now, when I say that. They're like, oh, give them a pass and this and that. I'm nah. See, I love, I, I've, I've started saying it a lot. I love audaciously. And so mm-hmm. when I say I love you, that comes with not a lot of hugs. Possibly it could come with a lot of cussing you out, telling you what's on my mind, mm-hmm. telling you what's, but because I love you and we got so much invested in our survival, I can't, I can't be nice to you. You know, like, don't patronize me with activism. Actually save my life. Yo, mm-hmm. car is coming. Get the fuck out of the way. The car is coming. Not a, a, a really a guy, a car may come. It may hit you if you continue to walk. <laughs> Bam, I'm hit. Like mm-hmm. you did no good for me, you know? And so this, again, I go back to the safe place, the uncomfortable place. I think it, it should be super uncomfortable to talk about oppression and slavery. Like that's the... However, if it's a safe thing, we may be doing it wrong. We may be in a place where it has to be up. So that's the work being done where we're on these platforms like a podcast, like facilitation, and we're in the rooms with individuals that may not look like us. And we're saying, 
I need you to see me. I need, mm-hmm. you to see this, I need you to see this page and don't try to pat me on the back and then go home to a safe place. Because if you're asking me, as I walk around Boulder, do I feel safe? Hell nah. <laughs> I know what I look like. The big black dude walking around and at any given time, oh, I get out of this, sir. Are, did you steal that car? Oh, sir, why are you walking around here? Are you okay? I know I'm, I'm almost anticipating that. So mm-hmm. do I feel safe? Hell no. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And I think that exchange, that reciprocal, like I'm sharing this openly because I need X. I need mm-hmm. you to see me. I need you to support this. I need you just to, to be here. Yeah. <laughs> and that exchange with, okay, now you understand, now you're learning. Now this is where you go forward with that. Mm-hmm. And I think people, um, first of all, you mentioned like hate and love, and those are very, those are wonderful human things that we have and that we experience Mm -hmm. (laughs) with ourselves and with relationships. So they're, they're relatives to this conversation. They're always going to be showing up. Mm -hmm. And I think relationships with hate and relationships with love, again, are shaped with what the support that we need when we're experiencing hate from institutions, Mm -hmm. hate that we're receiving from people. Um, And it's also shaped by the love that we need, meaning care, accountability, meaning um, showing up, being present. And I think those conversations are where just people need to be at and understand that love and hate are shaped systematically and historically. And also we are individuals in that point of history where we each have our ways of communicating. And that's why we're focusing on the relational piece. I'm not there to tell X person um, to fix their relationship. I'm saying, you know, that relationship better than I do. I'm here to get to know you in this learning container and a container of accountability. So you move forward with that relationship because that person that stopped you or like that, those voices that we imagine is like, they're going to show up at any point around the corner over my shoulder. They're going to come up and show and doubt my existence in that space. They may, may, may very well be connected to some of these people that are showing up in our spaces. And it, this container of an invisible paradigms, isn't just education and personal. I mean, it is those things, but the outcome is, those habits where defensivity, hatred, uh, fragility, anger, all of those have literal impacts on the other person's quality of life, mental mm-hmm. health, safety. So mm-hmm. we are talking about harm reduction in some way or reducing, mitigating harm. Harm reduction is a very specific word, so I'd like to move away from that and not... I love harm reduction work. And for this space is we're trying to mitigate harm the same way that you were talking about yeah. earlier, because when that happens, it's inevitable to happen. I want you to be there a little bit better than you were before. Mm-hmm. So that when you hear it, see it, meaning accountability moments or feel the anger, you're going to have skills to take one moment of pause and see the different choices that are suddenly available. Yeah. And those, and that means maybe that person, um, I mean, I have people, I have friends in this work who are doing it, who are doing this work with law enforcement. So mm-hmm. those choices that are suddenly available can literally mean de-escalating something and disarming something versus yeah. so, um, a really dangerous situation where a police officer fires because their sense of activation is so high. So we are talking yeah. about life and harming life and improving relationships and mitigating harm from people. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And you get, you, you have, you have, I mean, we all have that opportunity too. Mm-hmm. Our world doesn't teach us to do that very well. Hmm. Yeah, not at all. Speaking of uh, what our world has taught us, um, <laughs> I um, laugh because I love this part. <laughs> name it, name it to tame it. <laughs> name it to tame it. Um, 
So we're coming to the end of our, our time here. And I had asked Brenda, like, could you, you know, offer something up into the space for our listeners to, um, to reflect upon. Um, and so I'm wondering if I could turn it over to you for that piece and thank you in advance for that. Thank you. Yeah. So settle in if you are listening and have a piece of paper. Yeah. Wiggle those shoulders around. I don't know where you are in life listening to this, but this is a moment to come in and transition from listening to a conversation and coming into that integration and metabolizing something. Hmm. Um, So this activity is a sampler of what we do at our uh, cohorts or public training um, courses, which are five bi-weekly sessions where people up to 12 show up consistently to learn, reflect, and unlearn and yield alternatives. Um, We also have an internal community where after you've gone through the course, you stay connected with people that have gone through that as an extended community of learning and accountability. And this is one of our favorite activities that my coworker, Erin Shannon, um, co-created, but really, really led it. And it's a breakup letter to, to one of those feelings that show up when we're activated. So feeling, meaning we've reached the point of activation and disorientation sets in, we're angry, confused. We might feel like there's a need to be perfect in our allyship or that we need to go further. And so grab a piece of paper and a pen because you're going to need to write this. So the prompt is dear blank. Second sentence, paragraph. When you show up, I notice you blank. Next sentence. This is the favorite one because it's open-ended. It just starts with I and a big old blank for you to fill. (laughs) It could be multiple sentences or just one word. And then you sign off saying, thank you for what you've shown me. I'm committed to instead feel blank. I know we will cross paths and that's okay. Best. And then sign off. And so this breakup letter, I'll go through a little bit of what each of the blanks could be by giving you an example of mine. So I work with perfectionism. Perfectionism shows up like a ghost, um, a haunting ghost, an inner voice, and something that's sometimes expected of me as a, as a consultant. So my breakup letter would be, Dear perfectionism, and perfectionism is a um, specific practice of white supremacy culture by Tim Alcoon um, and Kenneth Jones. Is that right? Ken Jones. Um, So it's dear perfectionism. When you show up, I notice you override my body. I get caught up in self-doubt and rigid thinking. You displace my ability to be present and instead push me to set my value with my self-worth. I want to practice lowering your voice and voice of urgency. Thank you for showing, thank you for what you've shown me. I committed to instead feel detachment, both and thinking and self-healing. I know we will, we make, I know we make still cross paths and that's okay. Best Brenda. I love that. I I, th- I think Aaron actually facilitated this with our unlearning white supremacy group. And it was, it's very powerful to put that pen to paper. And to hear it for yourself. So read this letter to yourself. And it may seem cheesy, but it's also really powerful. This is one of those, you can publish it public. If you make this letter public, just tag us. But um, this is for you and the parts of you that you have encountered difficulty with in allyship Mm. Mm -hmm. and to hear it. Mm -hmm. And then we have a, a, a a crush letter. So after you break up with someone, you might be like, I have my eye on something else. There's something new on the horizon. And so this is the opportunity. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. This is your opportunity to like crush on, Maybe replay some of that teenage like giddiness, don't know how to do it, awkwardness. And that's a part of allyship as well is like, there is an alternative. This isn't Mm. just negative, difficult conversations. This is also 
dreaming, as Adrian Marie Brown says, this is also healing. This is also seeing something that hasn't been created for yourself before. And mm. damn, that is exciting. Is. So dear, um, your prompt would be, and this, I hopefully we can put this somewhere linkable for you all to, to, <laughs> to copy and write down. So this is going to be the antidote or the crush letter, dear um, blank. I've been putting this off for weeks now. I notice I feel blank writing to you. You have inspired me to blank your blank and blank. So your qualities, the thing that you might be thinking of could be presence, your presence and your calmness, you know, so your blank and blank um, has inspired me to um, let me start over. You have inspired me to blank your blank and blank um, has taught me X. I look forward to getting to know you better. See you soon. And then sign off. Mm. Mm. And you can ad lib. I mean, you know, the way that your voice rides better when you're trying to entice a new connection. (laughs) I encourage. (laughs) Yes. I love that. I love that exercise. And I love the notion of inviting in, inviting in the, 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 the thing that's going to nourish, you know, the thing that's going to move. And um, yeah, Bobby Lefebvre, one of our guests, Colorado Poet Laureate was talking about radical imagination, you know, like what, (laughs) you know him? Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And just the role I, I, I feel like that's, it's reminding me also of like, um, you know, Ibram X. Kendi the other week on Colbert saying, you know, if we, we put in, um, um, content into schools that, you know, the people that are anti-CRT or anti-education would be like, um, you know, these can make all the white kids feel guilty. And, and he's like, well, why aren't those white kids identifying with abolitionists they're going to learn about? Um, and, and the other day, you know, someone said about, uh, Katrina Miller's, uh, and Bet Strong's This Is Not Who We Are, a film about racism and black mm-hmm. experience in Boulder. It was yep, made to, to, to make uh, uh, white people feel guilty. And it's like, this is, that is, it's so stuck in that first step of, of opening eyes. And I, the narrative, it feels like it just needs more of that crush letter, more of that radical imagination, yeah. more of that, like, what could be like positivity, you know, like, what are we going for? Yeah. What could be today, you know? Yeah. And I think this crush letter is sometimes we think, oh, I'll send it. That's why we started off with, I've been putting it off for weeks. There's, <laughs> it's already been put off. You can do that now. And change requires energy. Yes. Um. And sometimes we don't want to or know how to put reinvest energy into things that we haven't done before because going to the gym is hard playing an instrument. No one is a like orchestra flautist when they first pick it up, Mm -hmm. you had to fumble through and tuning your instrument really well, listening, showing up and playing and change requires energy. It's one of our favorite community agreements just to say like Mm -hmm. trust Trust it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Energy flows where you're putting channels of it. Yeah. And when you're putting attention to it. Yes. Oh, you are a poet. I feel like you have created like this sizzling <laughs> live imagery in front of me. Wow. <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so it's much. It's been a pleasure. I love you, it. You have been a man. Thank you. I love this conversation. It was so, it was so amazing. Um, and, and I really appreciate the work you're doing well. So thank you so much for that. Thank you yeah. both. Yeah. So we'll, we'll put lots of links in the show notes um, to different references, as well as um, the courses that you're offering. Thank you. Thank you so much for your wisdom. We appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, y'all. Peace. 
Thanks for joining us on this episode of Humanize. Please remember to like and subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss an episode. Join us on Instagram or Facebook to continue this conversation at The Humanize Podcast. Let us know if you want to learn more about the professional trainings we offer. And of course, tune in next time as we continue the work. Thank you and much love.